Pastor David Jones. Welcome to my sermon archives. For more audio sermons, books, blog posts, and other goodies, visit www.pastordavidwentz.com. That's spelled W-E-N-T-Z. And follow me on Facebook or LinkedIn. I pray God speaks to you as you listen. As I have mentioned, I am planning to start a sermon series in the fall that I'm really excited about. About the glorious church, God's plan for the church, God's idea for what He wanted His body to be like, and for what uh, Trinity's part in that will be. But in order to prepare for that, I thought it was important that first, before we go out into the battle, we learn how to put on our armor. And so we are doing a series on the armor of God, and we're going to say the theme verse uh, together right now. Ephesians 6-11 Put on all of God's armor so that you will be able to stand firm against all strategies and tricks of the devil. Ephesians 6-11 The uh, passage in Ephesians there in the 6th chapter goes on to name the parts of the armor of God and we have already looked at the belt of truth and the body armor of righteousness Next week we're looking at the shield of faith and then the helmet of salvation, the sword of the Bible. And then what I call, Paul didn't call it this, but I call it the radio of prayer. And if you missed any of these, you can hear them on our uh, website. But today we're talking about the shoes of preparation. And let's start with our sermon key verse. 1 Peter 3.15 Always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope that you have. But do this with gentleness and respect. 1 Peter 3, 15. Okay, quick quiz. Does anybody here know the Boy Scout motto? I know John knows it. Okay, I know our other former scoutmaster knows it. Okay. Uh, the troop at uh, Magathy Church, where most of my sons were involved, seemed to think the Boy Scout motto was, do it the hard way. <laughs> but you're right, it's actually, it's be prepared. Be prepared. About 15 years ago, I took my four sons to uh, New Mexico, northern New Mexico, into a wilderness area out there. It was somewhere near Philmont, but it was a little west of that. Uh, we went backpacking. And I guess Jed was maybe 11 or 12, and, and uh, then it would have been like 14, 16, and 18, something like that. Uh, two or three of them were Eagle Scouts already, and the others eventually became. But, but uh, we ran into a rainstorm, and I had not checked out Jed's jacket. And the jacket that I had uh, picked out for him, uh, I had thought it was waterproof, and it turned out not to be. And uh, that lack of preparation on my part could have turned out to be very dangerous. It was wet, it was cold, he was in real danger of hypothermia. But fortunately we were prepared in other ways. We had the knowledge to recognize the danger. We had other gear to get him into a shelter, build a fire, get him dry and warm. And that preparation Protectives. So that's what we're talking about this morning is the armor, the piece of armor, the protection 
of preparation. And actually, this one's a little bit uh, unclear. I wasn't quite sure that it was going to be preparation. Because uh, the other ones, you know, belt of truth, body armor of righteousness, shield of faith, helmet of salvation, they're all spelled out just that way. But it's not quite so clear which is the piece of armor that we're talking about in this case. Because there are different translations of Ephesians 6.15, the New Living Translation that we read here said, For shoes, put on the peace that comes from the good news, so you'll be fully prepared. So that sounds like the peace is the shoes, the, the, the peace, the protective feet. The new uh, NET translation, I forget what that stands for, but it's, that's a really neat translation. It's only available, I think you can get it in print, but it's mainly online. And the neat thing about it is it's got thousands and thousands of the translator's notes that are also right there online. But anyway... It reads, fitting your feet with the preparation that comes from the good news of peace. That sounds like preparation is the armor. The New Revised Standard says, as shoes for your feet, put on whatever will make you ready to proclaim the gospel of peace. Makes it, sounds like the gospel is the armor. And you can make a good case for all of them, and you can get a blessing out of meditating on all those different ways of translating. And uh, as a side note, let me say, I'm not one that believes that if one way of wording is right, all the others must be wrong. They're all different ways of looking at the truth. So if you go into a prayerfully seeking for what God wants to show you, you can be blessed by all of them. That's one reason I like to use different translations of the Bible. But I do think Paul probably had only one of these things in mind as he was looking at those Roman soldiers that were guarding him in the house arrest while he wrote this path, this uh, letter. And so he was either thinking of peace or preparation or the good news of the gospel. And all of them protect you in some way. And, and as a matter of fact, until I started on this sermon this week, I always referred to the shoes of peace. Put on the shoes of peace. But as I looked at the literal Greek, it says, having shot your feet, with the preparation of the gospel of peace. And so that's what I felt like I was supposed to talk with you about this morning. The preparation of the good news of peace with God. Now, preparation is uh, one of the, the four keys to success. Or you might call them P's of success. Uh, prayer, plan, prepare, and persevere. I just I threw that in for free. Somebody here needs to know that this morning. The four P's of success. Pray, plan, prepare, persevere. Spiritual preparation is spiritual protection. If you understand the peace and hope of the good news, it'll protect you from deception and doubt. If you understand it, you can't be deceived into thinking that there's some other way that you get saved by working for it or doing rituals or something. It will, if you understand it, it'll protect you from doubting the truth of God's love and God's grace. Experiencing the peace and hope of the good news will protect you from anxiety and despair. That's what 
it's all about. It's not just a head knowledge. It's an experience of God's presence and God's love. And being ready to explain the peace and hope of the good news will protect you from embarrassment and feeling like a spiritual failure. Did you ever hesitate to invite somebody to church because you were afraid they were going to ask you why they should go and you weren't sure you'd have a good answer? Or maybe, uh, and people tell me this all the time, and I used to actually feel this way, I'd be uh, afraid that they would ask me a question and I wouldn't know the answer and it would make me look dumb and they'd say, oh, you all Christians, you're all crazy and, and I'd do more harm than good by even bringing it up. Anybody ever feel like that? So we need to understand the good news so we can be prepared to explain the hope that is in us. And the passage that Nancy read for us this morning from Ephesians 2 is a wonderful summary of that. Once you were dead because of your disobedience and your many sins, it, it comes in three parts, actually. It's, it's uh, where we used to be, what God did for us, and where we are now. If we can understand and get those three parts in our head, we can understand and we can explain it to other people. And where we used to be starts off with the first three verses. Once you were dead, because of your disobedience and your many sins, you used to live in sin, just like the rest of the world, obeying the devil. Now, Paul is writing to people who have become Christians, who have become children of God, but he's reminding them of what they used to be. You used to live in sin, just like the rest of the world, obeying the devil, the commander of the powers in the unseen world. He's the spirit of work and heart of those who refuse to obey God. And all of us used to live that way, following the passionate desires and inclinations of our sinful nature. That's just the way that we used to be. We inherited that nature. From our first ancestors who disobeyed God. And their spirits wound up dying as a result of it. We were all born with an evil nature and we lived accordingly. And, as verse 3 goes on, by our very nature we were subject to God's anger. Just like everyone else. Living that way puts us on the wrong side of God. So where we all used to be. Where the whole human race is born into is being on the wrong side of God. But the good news goes on with what God did for us. God, verse 4, God is so rich in mercy and He loved us so much that even though we were dead because of our sins, He gave us life. God loved us just the way we were. But He loved us too much to leave us that way. And that's, that's a great line when you're sharing with people. God loves you just the way you are. You don't have to get yourself all cleaned up. You don't have to meet some qualification, some entrance exam. God's the one who wants to take you just the way you are and clean you up. But that's the other part of it. Yes, come the way you are. God loves you just the way you are, but He loves you too much to leave you that way. 
even though we were dead because of our sins, He gave us life when He raised Christ from the dead. It's only by God's grace, by God's special favor, that you have been saved. God gave His Son Jesus to die in our place so that we can live in Him. John 3.16 God loved the world so much that He gave His only begotten Son that whoever believes in Him should not perish but have everlasting life. And it goes on with verse 6 where He raised us from the dead along with Christ and seated us with Him in the heavenly realms because we are united with Christ Jesus. As far as God is concerned, we're already sitting in heaven. We used to be on the wrong side of God. First part. Second part, what God did for us is He loved us so much that He gave His Son Jesus to do something about that issue that we couldn't do anything about and raise us up to become a member of His kingdom. And so where are we now? Verse 7, so God can point to us in all future ages as examples of the incredible wealth of His grace and kindness toward us. It's shown in all He's done for us who are united with Christ Jesus. God, did you ever think about the fact that God is a show-off? God loves to show off to all the spiritual forces that rebelled against Him. He loves to show His grace. He loves to show how love is more powerful than hate and evil and force. And the way he does that is by doing good things to us who don't deserve it. He loves to do that. God loves to show off how much he loves us. Now, verses 8 and 9, God saved you by his grace, by his special favor, by his unmerited favor. When you believe. And you can't take credit for this. It's a gift from God. Salvation is not a reward for good things we've done. So none of us can boast about it. It's not anything that we can take credit for. It's not anything we can buy. It's not anything we can deserve. It's an undeserved gift from God. But now that we have received that gift, Verse 10 says, we are God's masterpiece. He's created us anew in Christ Jesus so we can do the good things He planned for us long ago. Now we can do the good things God has planned for us. We used to be on the wrong side of God. God did something about that where we couldn't by sending Jesus to die for us. And now... We can't take any credit for us, but now we're on the right side of God. We're members of the kingdom, and now we can finally do the things God planned for us. Because it's no longer our own power. It's the Holy Spirit of God come to live in us. We need to understand the good news that protects us from uh, deception and doubt then we need to experience the peace and hope of the good news to protect us from anxiety and despair. And the way we do that is by the spiritual ABCs, okay? 
Admit you can't do it yourself. Believe that Jesus died in your place and rose to give you new life. And commit yourself to follow Jesus by the help of God's Holy Spirit. And then there's actually a D that I didn't put in the outline, which is do the kinds of things that Jesus did. Which in, in our H-I-M is I, imitating Jesus. Experience the good news for yourself. And if there's anybody here who never has admitted that you can't do it yourself, believe that Jesus died in your place and rose to give you new life, committed yourself to follow Jesus. I'd love to pray with you right now because those three, the ABCs, that's what you do in a prayer to become saved and then you live it out afterwards is the D. I'd love to pray with you about that after the service if, if there's anybody not sure of that. So we need to understand it. To protect ourselves from deception and doubt, we need to experience it. To protect ourselves from anxiety and despair. And then we need to be ready to explain the good news by our own experience to protect us from embarrassment and feeling like a spiritual failure. Be ready to explain what God did for you, where you used to be, what He did, and where you are now. And I encourage you to, to literally take this as a serious piece of homework. If you've never done this, write out your own story. I mean, if you don't know, if you can't articulate what God did for you, why are you wasting your Sunday mornings in church? You could be sleeping in, right? If you don't know He's done anything for you, if you can't explain what He's done for you, then, then uh, what are you doing here? I'm not saying go home and start sleeping in. I'm saying get it straight in your mind why you're here, what He did for you, where you used to be. If you used to be, if you use these, these uh, points from Ephesians 2.10 as an outline for your own story. Where you used to be. Some people have a testimony. Oh, I used to be a drug addict and I used to be a, a bank robber and I used to be a hatchet murderer and all of these kinds of things and then Jesus saved me. And praise the Lord for those wonderful dramatic testimonies. Although if you have a testimony like that, don't do like I've heard. People spend 95% of the time telling in lurid detail all the awful things they used to be and then they say, and then Jesus saved me, amen, and they're done. So, so don't do it that way. But tell enough so people will understand what God saved you from. Because if God saved you from something wonderful, then give Him the glory by letting people know that. But a lot of us were blessed to grow up in Christian homes and families and churches. And so you love Jesus from as far back as you remember. And I have heard people who, that's their story, and they feel like they don't have a testimony. And they don't have anything they can tell anybody. And, and I have even heard people go so far as to make up some dramatic testimony just because they didn't feel like they, they uh, had anything to tell. But just praise the Lord that the fact is there are a lot of people out there who don't feel like they had some horrible thing in the past they needed to be saved from. And they really can't relate to these dramatic testimonies, but they could relate to yours. Just refer 
to all the evil in the world. Or, or just ask the person you're talking to if they can relate to the idea of struggling with evil in their own lives. And that's all it takes to illustrate the first point of the gospel, which is that we're all on the wrong side of God, just by being human beings. Then tell what God did for you. And don't just tell the dry facts. Jesus died for my sins. Tell how you heard it. Tell the story of how you came to understand it, how you came to believe it, how you felt, and what you did and what God did. And then don't leave out the part about where you are now, about the difference that it's made. If you didn't grow up knowing Jesus and your life is different than it used to be, then talk about how it's different. But whether or not you grew up knowing Jesus, everybody can tell what Jesus means to you now. Verse 10 says, God has prepared good things for us to do. Don't be afraid to talk about some of the things that you're involved in here at Trinity or other places that you feel good about. Where you feel like you're doing something good. It's not bragging on you. It's giving glory to God. Praise the Lord. I had the opportunity to, to volunteer overnight and, and help out 25 homeless people. It'll be off the streets for a week in February. Praise the Lord for that. People want to hear that. People want to know how they can give back. How does all of that sound when you put it together? Well, my own story, where I was, I grew up in a church. I grew up in a, a liturgical kind of church where it was the kind of church where you said the same words every Sunday and I learned to say those words before I knew what they meant. And so I never thought about it and I never really got the message. I went back years later and read it and it's beautiful. It's wonderful truth. But I grew up saying the same words every Sunday and I didn't get it. And as a result, on the outside, I was a goody two-shoes in high school. And I had a clean mouth, but I had a very dirty mind. And I was a master of uh, double entendres and making people think all the kinds of things that I wasn't going to say. And then I was invited to a summer camp, a Young Life summer camp in, uh, in Colorado. And basically this was back in 1972 between the summer of, uh, the summer between high school and college. And basically, when I found out I could go to the Rocky Mountains, which I'd never seen, and I could go out there for a week uh, for, I think back in those days, it was $65 or something like that. I said, for that, I can put up with Jesus Freaks. You know, and I went out there and I heard the gospel presented in a way that it really made sense to me. I heard that I couldn't do it by going to church and by keeping the rules and by jumping through hoops. I learned that Jesus gave his life for me. And I heard that my proper response was to give my life to him. And I did that. And I remember at that time, the biggest thing in my life was my saxophone. That was, I mean, that was the most important thing. And I remember going out one night, it was a Wednesday night, we'd been there half the time, and they, they gave the, uh, the gospel salvation message at the chapel on Wednesday evening, and they told us all to go out for 20 minutes all by ourselves, 
And they would blow a whistle or ring a bell or something to call us back in. And I went out and sat under the tree and I remember telling God, God, I am willing to do whatever you want to do. Take my life, whatever you want to do with it. I will even stop playing my saxophone if you need me to. And that was the biggest sacrifice I could think of. Okay, I think I also told him that if he wanted me to, I would dig a hole and lie down in it and cover myself up, you know, just... But, but the sax was bigger. But anyway, I had, had been reading the Bible before that as a, uh, you know, something that, that uh, educated people were supposed to know and something that people that went to church were supposed to do and all of this. And so I kept reading the Bible, but I, I noticed the next day, it was like, who took out all the pages and put in new ones? You know, it was the same words, but it just made such a difference. I later learned it was because I had the Holy Spirit, the author, now living in, in my heart. But it just, it made a difference. And, and I stopped with the double entendres and the, the bad jokes and all of that kind of stuff. And, uh, or... I shouldn't say bad jokes, dirty jokes. Okay, I still, I still say bad jokes, but anyway. Um, and, and here I am now, and, and it just makes a difference. And I can't imagine going through life, going through things, having, having one son as a, a pastor in a country that's 99.7% Muslim, having another son in the army who's been through Iraq and Afghanistan and probably going back again. I can't imagine going through that stuff without the Lord. And it just makes such a difference giving me peace. So know your story. Be able to articulate your story. Write it out if, if that helps. You don't have to write it if writing is an issue, but practice it. Tell it to yourself in the mirror or whatever. Practice telling your story and then ask God to give you opportunities to share your story with people who need to hear it. One of the devil's most effective means of neutralizing your effectiveness as a believer is to attack your confidence. If he can make you feel like you're not worthy or not qualified or not ready to tell people about Jesus or to invite them to church, then he wins. And the best way to build your confidence and serve the kingdom of God is what our key verse says. So let's say it together. First Peter 3.15 Always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope that you have. But do this with gentleness and respect. First Peter Again, I'm Pastor David Wentz, and for more audio sermons, books, blog posts, and other goodies, please visit www.pastordavidwentz.com, that's spelled W-E-N-T-Z, and follow me on Facebook or LinkedIn. May God bless you as we do Christianity together. See you next time.